A.G. Geiger presents Episode 4, Charlie James. My name is Michael Delgado, and I'm your host. You're listening to A.G. Geiger Presents, Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. I come to you each week from the fantastic library bar in the spectacular historic Mayfair Hotel, right here in downtown L.A. Today I'm meeting Charlie James, gallerist and curator of the eponymous Charlie James Gallery in nearby Chinatown. Here to talk about an exciting upcoming show featuring Lee Quinones, one of the most influential street artists of our time. I also want to pepper him with questions about his 10 years before the mast of art dealing. Charlie has successfully navigated the treacherous waters of the art world and has an exciting lineup of shows for 2019. Charlie enters the beautiful Art Deco lobby of the hotel, checks his watch, but he knows he's perfectly prompt. A courtesy I appreciate. He's wearing a white button-down, under a sweater, and has a ball cap tucked firmly in place, all hinting at his East Coast bloodlines. But Charlie's not a typical elite gallerist. He's a scrapper with a nose for a kind of art that throws a punch and can take one too. He spotted me at the bar. It's time to meet. You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, Wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any. And, oh, yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. Hello. Hello, my name is Michael Delgado, and you're listening to A.G. Geiger Presents, Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. A.G. Geiger Presents is produced by yours truly in conjunction with A.G. Geiger Fine Art Books, the historic Mayfair Hotel, and music and artist management company Regime 72. Check us out, aggeiger.com, mayfairla.com, and regime72.com. My guest today is gallerist Charlie James, who for 10 years has been showcasing provocative shows from amazing emerging and established artists. So, welcome Charlie James. Hi Michael, good to be with you. So have you been in the Mayfair Hotel before? Because it's I love it here. It's my first time. I've been to a couple of shows down the road, you know, at the Terragram, but... Uh, um, yeah, it's my first time in the hotel. It's nice. It is nice. Yeah. And we're in the library bar. And I do, you know, so I, I snuck by your gallery today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and peeked in to see the setup. That's it's a mess on. in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're installing. I'm installing. But, uh, and I, you know, I want to get to, um, you know, how you got to Chinatown and how we became neighbors. Yeah. Um, but uh, the show looked very exciting and... Um, it has, it's got a, you know, the artist is fantastic, and it, and it fits for the Mayfair, um, as we mentioned before, or as I mentioned before, when we, um, the Regime 72 people, uh, and Risk and such. So, uh, if you want to just yeah. give a little bit on the show. I bet, yeah, <coughs> I bet the Risk guys and the people like that are going to be at my gallery next Saturday night, the 12th of January. I don't know when this will air with air quotes right. I say that with air quotes but yeah I'm showing um, 
New York graffiti legend Lee Quinones. And uh, Lee was the star of the movie Wild Star, uh, Wild Sty, Style that uh, Charlie Ahern directed, which is the kind of the seminal New York graffiti movie. Lee was the actual, it was kind of a dramatization of Lee's life, I think. You know, he grew up right. on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. He's born in Puerto Rico. He flew over with that generation of Puerto Rican immigrants. And um, he was one of uh, the fabulous five group of graffiti writers that would that would create these epic murals on trains, sometimes multiple train cars, one right. piece. I've been learning about this. You know, street art is not really part of my DNA or the DNA of the gallery. I have, you know, I, I work with a wonderful artist named Patrick Martinez who kind of originated in a street art context but has really moved well into a mainstream contemporary art context. Right, I wanted to ask you about that, actually, but, but go on. Yeah. Um, but Lee, I was lucky enough, I met Lee... Uh, and my awareness was raised uh, about Lee over the last few years by a great curator named Dan Cameron, whose name might be familiar to you. He used to run the Orange County Museum right. um, before he was unfortunately deposed for no good reason, and uh, he decamped back to New York City. He also used to work at the New Museum. He's a great curator based in, uh, in New York. He loves Lee and used to talk to me about Lee. And, uh, and then I met him at like uh, the Armory Fair two or three years ago uh, when I was hanging around the PPOW gallery, people who are friends of mine. Uh, we share an artist named Ramiro Gomez with them. And I met Lee and I was like, hey, I know Dan Cameron and Dan Cameron loves you and I'm a big fan and blah, blah, blah. And, and um, Lee's a super good guy. You know, I have, How old is Lee now? I think he's born in 60. Oh. So, yeah, so he's, you know, he's not too old, but he's, you know, he's mature. He's a mature career artist. And, uh, you know, he had a show a handful of years ago at MoMA PS1. He's in the permanent collection of MoMA and several other major museums. You know, he's, uh, you know, it's it's always a big, it's a big claim to to put this out there whenever you do something. But he might be kind of the goat. You know, we just watched the end of a sports, a, a football game, and they like to use goat greatest of all time, right? It's, it's not far wrong to say that. He's among that first generation of hip-hop. You know, the, the, visual, the visual art element of hip-hop is, is where Lee came from. He's in that Blondie Rapture video, where, which is the first mainstream rap tune, right? With Fab Five Freddy, who's coming to the uh, artist. Will Lee be out here? For oh, yeah. Oh, awesome. He's coming out Wednesday, and he's staying for a week. He's leaning into it. He's right. excited. Good. It's the first ever L.A. show for Lee. I'm super proud to have him. It's it's a coup, right? Mm-hmm. He's, right. He's, a, he's a substantial artist. You What's know? interesting, too, is it's it's is the work itself it's it it's from his studio right yeah so that's right so there's a in some ways if you want to look at kind of the 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 thematics of the show are basically i think about process you know um we've got two the in the main chamber there's going to be two major pieces flanking one another they're going to be the series called the tablets which are 15 cut and framed uh gypsum panels gypsum is drywall, sure, drywall right and when I did a studio visit with Lee in East Williamsburg, the walls of his studio were just spectacularly beautiful. There were all these color tests everywhere, all merging into these, these vibrant you know, color compositions, experiments with line. And then there were a million uh, kind of auditions for Lee's axioms. Lee's famous mm-hmm. for these missives. Um, that he writes that are part of the thing, sometimes calligraphically, sometimes, you know, all kinds of different style, wild style, bubble style, just in marker. Um, and the walls were just 
festooned with all of this creativity. And I was like, gosh, we. And then he has a two-story studio in a way. He has a studio on top of a studio. And the one upstairs, you know, he's a, 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 a quite a successful artist. You know, he, he bought he has a brownstone in Bed Stuy, and you know, the New York Times profiled his collection in, in its T magazine in the Sunday Times yeah, or two right. long ago. Um, he's done well, and um, upstairs is more of a viewing room. It's got hardwood floors and blah blah mm -hmm. blah. And I bring this up because I went up there, and there was a piece um, that was this another super organic piece filled with tags, and it w basically it was basically a seven by nine foot series of panels from the Brooklyn Navy Yard. It had been, they, they'd been outside for 50 years, you know, from the 40s, from the end of the Second World War up until sometime in the late 90s when Lee took them down. And they'd been tagged by all manner of people, famous, you know, guys, uh, and Lee. And Lee, this was like the first instance of Lee kind of turning you know, a street art or, or an aesthetic outcome into art, you know, so a Duchampian intentionalist would say, well, so Lee rescued these panels from the Navy Yard, brought them into his studio, and then continued to work yeah. on them. So there are, there are, there's this hybridity between, you know, these things being kind of artifacts from the street and then, you know, being worked in the same way that this tablet series that I described is again a kind of a, a mixture of kind of organic um, graffiti outcome, but also with intentionality in the composition. We actually painstakingly use some kind of super cool saw to like excise these things. What's that? Sawzall. Maybe so. <laughs> and you know he, he surgically removed these things, and in so doing, of course, he he he. he <clears throat> You know, he made the compositions, right? That in some ways, that was. I was going to ask you about that because I saw him and I didn't know who did the curating in that regard. Yeah, so that's the so for sure. One of them has a light switch. That's my favorite one. That's the one that. Now, was, was this your idea then? You said, "Hey, Lee, why don't we chop this I don't, up?" You know, I don't want to be. I, I don't want to make it. It's. It, it, I mean, the answer is kind of yes. Like it was. I went upstairs and I was like, "Holy mackerel, Lee!" You know, the Navy Yard piece with all this organic writing and stuff. It was just a feast. I was like, that piece is a bleeping masterpiece, Lee. That you know, that's that's an important piece. And then downstairs, yeah, we did talk about. It. I commented, I'm like, Lee, the walls of your studio are are, you know, amazing. You know what? You know, something should be done. That's and right. then you know, it's like a living sketchbook. Yeah, that's right. I I think of them as drawings. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, oh, I'm open. Yeah. I'm open to you know your feedback. Tell me what I should say. Um, <laughs> but there is, you know, they, it, it's not uncomplicated. So talking about what those things are, you know, because um, uh, Lee didn't he didn't uh, manipulate them after they were cut out. They they these literally are, oh. you know, excisions from his studio. Um, to me, you know, I. To me, it's all about the outcome. You know what I mean? And, and I believe this. So to, just a kind of a segue, I work with a lot of artists, you know, and I think grad schools are largely responsible for this too, that feel almost uh, obligated to have some elaborate process that they right. can, you know, talk about. And, and you know, something this comes to from, talk about. That's and, right. Yeah, that, I hate that. This comes from some kind of, you know, wonder womaning of, of fending off crits, right, at CalArts, you know, like, <laughs> like why would you do this? What, you know, well, I, I've got a eight-point plan that describes the motivation behind how or, this... Yeah, or who does it reference? Yeah, yeah. well, who does it reference? I'm sympathetic to that. I, I have kind of a, a half-assed theory and artistic background, so I love appropriation and I love reference to antecedents. It, it makes me feel at home. But 
But no, I, that's all good. I, the thing I don't like is that if you aren't in line with a particular aesthetic, right? So, like, if you're making a particular image and it's like, oh, well, there's all these antecedents, and if you're not aware of them, yeah, in terms of discussing it in ter- uh, with your critics or your teachers or whatever, then they're like, oh, you need to be aware of that, right? Right? Like, right? No, no, you don't really. Yeah, yeah. yeah lots I of mean, this stuff just comes in through osmosis, you know. Yeah, it just gets I mean, in some of it, yeah, you, you know. You, you need to know your history, but at the same time, you know, just at that stage when you're in school, like, let it go. Like let it go for know, now. That's yeah. right. And anyway, I, I'm on the, I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, uh, you know, I, I kind of keep an eye out for this, but I, I make a point of telling artists, like, process is great if it's liberating or if it gives you a structure that somehow you need. But if, if a process disallows you know, fecking territory, you know, like mm-hmm. fertile ground for exploration, right. then, then fuck the process. Is it okay if we, can we say fuck on yes, the podcast? Yes, you can say fuck. You know, then fuck the process. If the, the process has to open up possible outcomes, it has to make things easier, better, you know, more opportunities for success, which every artist needs as many opportunities to land a piece, meaning to, you know, to mm-hmm. spark, to create that almost carnal need for possession that's required for a piece to, to move, to become, to, to be sold, to, to travel in the world. And so I, I actually, you know, I'm always, so, so the intentionalists, like I, I can already tell, like, so, so he's literally just cut out the walls of his studio. There's not some intentionality here. I'm like, fuck intention. You know, like if you look at these things, they're glorious. They're so yeah, beautiful. They are beautiful. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they're, robust and they have all of these ideas going on and, he, and he's he's done wonderful compositions why is that the the intentionality just the editing portion of it i mean well that, have fair play piece, i know i think it is i think why it not is. just say okay well, i've got you know it's like i've got this work and now i've now as you put it chopped it up but i you know you've edited it he's had like these this piece ends here and this is the edge and yeah, yeah. it's it's a it's an old i i think well i don't know you, this can't really I can't. I was going to say it's an older school method of thinking. Like, I, I actually had a a, uh, a museum president, and, and I don't say that as a boast, but that's actually the guy's title. He's a he's a president. He's he's ramping up a, a, a museum in L.A. I, I won't name him, but we had a big. He's a real Duchampian guy, self-professed Duchampian, and I am too. But but I didn't exactly connect that Duchampian for this guy, who I like very much. Um, really meant intentionality you know like Duchamp is Dennis Hopper said you know he famously said the artist points his finger and says that's art and that's art you know and I definitely think that's wonderful you know I think the 20th century there are two parallel lines there's the there's the Picasso to to uh, Pollock line you know which to Mm -hmm. me that formal line which is largely reductive in my view which I don't really I mean, it's great in the 20th century, but I don't understand why it's perpetuating quite as, you know... With it doesn't have to stop at Pollock, I mean, if you're going to go... No, no, for sure. The minimalist. That's stuff. right, that's right. But I find Duchamp to Warhol to be much more generative line. You know, like, you know, Warhol really created an image system. The same way the landscape is an image system, the Bible is an image system, the human body is an image system. It's a, it's a work surface, right? Well, as soon as Warhol annexed in popular, you know, the visual elements and... Uh, you know, cons- of consumer products and popular culture, it's never going to stop because everyone grows up with their own library of pop culture images. Everybody feels an impulse, I think, to respond to it as well. They should. Um, 
whereas I find the arc of modernism to be fundamentally kind of reductive, right? It's all about removing things from the picture plane mm -hmm. until you get to the minimalists and you have the painted word. I'm very sympathetic with Tom Wolfe's The Painted Word, right. by the way. I think everyone should read that book. And from Bauhaus to Our House, for that matter. But anyway, what's the point? So, uh, intentionality, Lee. Yeah, so there's some pieces in there that are really kind of, they're provocative in, in certain ways. And for some folks, you know, there's this question, was enough done? Right? That's what they're kind of getting But at. But it's, it's been there for years. It's I been mean, there. I mean, he's worked on it for years. And yeah, he's at seven by nine feet. I saw that. Today. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was leaning up. It That's right. Started. It's not quite all oh, the okay, great. And the left will be the tablets, which are the cutouts of the mm -hmm. studio wall. And then on the main rear, uh, the main wall in the back, you know, the rear central wall will be this epic, another nine by seven foot painting that Lee's uh, made uh, an original composition on canvas. Um, and then the show goes on. Like, this is a pretty big show. And then in the rear chamber, which lends itself to works on paper, we've got, a, we've got some jackpot Lee works on paper, studies from the 70s and the 80s, you know, studies for train murals. You know, he's got this right. epic drawing of uh, uh, based on Star Wars from 1977, <laughs> which is magnificent. So cool. And... Um, Anyway, and those have largely already sold, I'm happy to say, which is nice. I, back in the day, and I'm dating myself, but I used to work at Leica, and uh, the guys that founded Fashion Moda came out. And Fashion Moda was the Brooklyn place that was the center of, of, of all the, the uh, taggers and bonds. Yeah, that place came up in conversations with Lee. They, they came out and they were showing the maquettes that the artists would use, or the teams actually, that would use to, to bomb the subway trains. Mm. And because, you know, he was explaining, I thought, you know, like, how the fuck did they do that? And um, because you only got like a few minutes before the dogs get cut loose and people, you get spotted or whatever, because they, you know, they jump over the train yard. Lee told me he stuff. would pull eight to 12 hours of exposure in those train yards. The exposure, that, that's what, uh, right. I'm, I'm a big fan of Michael Mann's, you know, where <laughs> you think of the, the noir stuff, you know, his, yeah, his yeah. burglary, but like Thief and Heat. Right. Um, Thief is a real masterpiece, 1980, James Caan, Jim Belushi, remember? Robert Prosky, and, he, and, uh, and, our, and, and James Caan's like, that's like eight hours, that's a lot of exposure, he says. Yeah, no, exposure. it's true, because, and it was like, it's, ten, you know, a, a huge fine ten months of jail. And so I was like, how like, you know, that's a, a lot of work to get done. And he said, well, no, it's not like one dude, although in Lee Lee's was one case dude. it was one dude. But in the, the fashion motor had teams and they would, they would um, they'd map it all out. And like, I would be blue, you would be red, mm. someone else would be, you know, yellow or whatever, black. And they, you had a part and that was it. And you would... You just go, and then like they'd hit an entire car in you know 15 minutes. Well, that's a, yeah. But it was a team, and they were insane. He was like no problem, eight hours, and he'd do multi-car. I think yeah. he did up to three car masterpieces. Like it's intense. Henry Chalfont captured a lot of Lee's work. So if you want to see Lee's train work, there, and, and he's an he's an artist. Now this tugs on some issues. I mean, Henry Chalfont, like uh, Lee, loves the guy, of course. But his work, he's a photo-based artist or documentarian, however you want to, that's, someone else can determine what that is. But 
But his work is the photo capture of artists like Lee and their work on the trains. Right. And um, I'd like to see that. It's, what is that again? It's magnificent. The guy's name is Henry Chalfant. C-H-A-L-F-A-N-T. Chalfant. And he's hella famous for these beautiful photographs of... I'm uh, sure I've seen the photos. You have. Yeah. You have. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't the only one that kind of made his bones shooting the visual hip-hop mm -hmm. street art stuff. Martha Cooper, that's another famous one who did that stuff. But um, no, Lisa, Lisa Hero, we talked about it. Like I'm like, Lee, how do you... You know, like, yeah, these guys have got dogs. You remember all the hobo songs about those guys with clubs, you know? Like, yeah. The train yard's no place to be when you're not supposed to be there, right? And Lee's out there for eight hours, maybe more at a time. That's crazy. It's crazy. And and I'm like, and, and uh, he's like, I don't know how I did it. But and I threw in there, you know, feeling feeling my age and my back and my knees now, you know, <laughs> ever more. I'm like, you were young, you know? And I, I think that's really the answer. Like, how does a guy do Probably that? How right. does he do that? Yeah. You're young. You just burn, man. You just go, you know? Yeah. And... And of course, I think Lee's a real artist. You know, like I, like I'm quoting people. Like, like uh, I've gone, I've, I've, my knowledge level, of course, has increased massively since, as as the show gets closer, I'm learning more. But my background is is not heavy on this. You know, on, on this. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I mean, as you said, it's sort of a little divergent from your. Yeah. Gallery, and I'm excited to see the show, and it's on the. 12th. That's right. That's January. this Saturday night coming up in Already. six days. Okay. Well, we better drop this tomorrow. Yeah, go for it. And he's got all. He's got. He's going to be on all three floors of the gallery. Awesome. So the main chamber is going to is going to have this this element of the kind of, the, the you know the experimental walls both outside and inside, and then a new major painting. Then these rather significantly valuable uh, drawings from the 70s and the 80s in the rear chamber and then more drawings somewhat more recent in the basement and some new paintings in the basement and then some more work in my office so it's going to be nuts i got to hire a security guard I can't you know we're not on that you know like I said we're not part of that the, the, the normal stomp for street art kids but I don't know if you've ever seen like a major driven by a major street art opening there are all these kids with long lensed cameras standing out in lines and stuff hmm. that go around the block like at the Shepherd Ferry kind of tip right it's it's a trip so I, yeah I'm gonna hire you know someone to kind of keep the order a little bit but I'm a little bit excited about it I'm more than a little bit excited about it I mean when you should be it sounds fabulous I'm really excited no I got a tiger I got a tiger by the tail like you know every contemporary gallery looks to add mature careers to the roster right i mean my roster is fundamentally young but we're, we're but as we, you know we're in our 10th year now and we're adding you know tall trees that have had substantial careers because you know good or bad or indifferent the art world uh and it particularly does this with artists of color and with women i'm not saying this is right or wrong this is simply what happens is that late career annexation Right of a life spent in the arts, and then they get recognition like Alice Neal, right? Like oh, she, she toiled in tiny oh, oh, apartments oh, 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 uptown oh, for right. a thousand years, and then right, right, right. you know whatever twenty minutes before she died or whatever they you know they they made her a hall of famer kind of a thing. This happens all the time, you know. Um, and I'm not saying that you know Lee's done very well, but he hasn't ever had a show of solo in LA. He's been in many shows. He was in the mm -hmm. Deitch survey at MoCA on Street right. Art, of course. He was in this Beyond the Streets thing that just happened. Yeah, that was fun. That was. He had one of his handball courts in front of oh, really? the of the building. Um, 
but yeah, it's a, it's a coup, man. Like it's uh, it's just uh, darn good luck, and he's a great guy. And we we uh, you know it's all about energy. You know, like I'm I profess that that um, that one's career in art should should come from a place of sincerity. You know, I've I've given several talks to to grad students and to you know whatever the college art association just about professional practices and. I tell artists that are looking for galleries is you got to know your landscape. Go find gal- go right. So, yeah, find them. Don't. Yeah, well, you you got to know what's up, right? And you got to go to these things. And then when you when you go to a gallery and you feel like your sensibility is being echoed by what the gallery is showing, then you then you make it known that you were there and you keep going back. Right. You know what I mean? And you and you see if if your interest is is rewarded with repeat visits. And I, I always tell artists like, but the galleries going to recognize if you keep showing up, you know, because we appreciate it. I do. You know what I mean? Like, you you, you know, um, every dealer, at least I do, you know, go through the same thing. Like, oh, gosh, I hope people show up tonight. You know what I mean? And then a whole... <laughs> well, it's the always place, like throwing the a party. Goes, you never, you know, yeah, the first two minutes, we're like, who's going to show up? Who's going to show up? <laughs> and then it, gets, then it gets bombed out. And you're like, get these people the fuck out of here. You know, like, it's always, it never changes. It's always the same. Sure. But it's nice to have, you know, thoughtful people come by and respond to the work and say something sincere, right? I've done a million studio visits, you know, based on, like, there's that guy again. And, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. I better say yeah. hi. I mean, to me, it's... It's no, it's right. It's what's right to well, do. Well, how else do you do it? I mean, it's there's so much, and unless somebody, it's either rigged inside. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like, and that's that's putting it pejoratively. But the way I found a lot, I've connected with a lot of artists that um, uh, new artists is I'm hearing it from my artists. Right. Like, take a look at Sally. Take sure. a look at Jim. It's like a record, record label that way. Perhaps, but yeah, but there's still a way to do it cold, right? Lots of artists want to know how do I do it, you know, from scratch. Well, you you support galleries that you have an, a sincere affinity with, get yourself a visit, and hope that that you know sparks fly. But and do the work. And I mean, do the work, of course, of yeah, course. Well, right. I assume well, that they're doing the work. If they're, not doing, <laughs> they're not doing the well, work. Well, you know, yeah. they're not doing the work. <laughs> I don't. I don't have anything to say. Yeah, uh, right. So you mentioned the DNA of your gallery, which is being slightly outside this particular thing. Other than that, now you're in a position to get the taller trees, as you mentioned. Um, so maybe a couple seconds about what like is... Like, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I, I want to caveat that. So, uh, you know, and Lee would not approve of me of me, of me hitting this street art refrain. Because Lee is in this... Is an important mainstream, you know, contemporary artist of a mature career, and he originated, of course, in this in this movement. But he is well transitioned over, and is a respected historical and contemporary figure. But my point is, is in correcting myself is what's the DNA of the gallery? The DNA of the gallery is kind of activisty. So I have this idea that uh, that uh, it's possible to know the final utility of art. Like you can answer, like if we go to art school, it teaches us that no pat definition of art can withstand theory because they'll just come up with something that breaks it, right? Mm. But I believe that there is an ultimate definition or, or utility for art. And I think that our encyclopedic museums tell us what that is. I think at the end of the day, the most fortunate art objects made, you know, in the world ever, you know, if they're very fortunate, then they serve as artifactual evidence of the progress of the human project. If you look at the Metropolitan Museum of Art... But doesn't that beg the question of what is the human project? 
Sure, sure. But what I'll ask you to think about is think about the Met. The Met in New York is 5,000 years of human history in one building. That's a very interesting remit. No, there's nothing really quite like that. You know, the Louvre doesn't go to the contemporary. But, you know, but the Met, you know, goes from Egypt, you know, and ancient XYZ all the way up to today. And if you think, if you do, you put your old structuralist, post-structuralist hat on, you look at how do they organize the Met, right? They, or, they, they do it into, you know, civilizational rooms and timelines. Right. And then you think about what's in those rooms. Well, you have the treasure of those periods, right? Where the king had this goblet, you know, King Tut right. shit, right? Um, but you also have... Which the, don't belong to us anyway, but yeah. Right, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. I won't, I won't take the, that, that we one. We won't go to, that route. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, all right, so... And, and the decorative arts of the period, and also things that, that, that show us, like, what it was like to be there then, you know? If you look at the contents of these rooms, treasure... The innovations of the period, the decorative arts of the period, and things that reflect what it was like to be in Edo, Japan, or Ming, China, or whatever. Right. And ultimately, the stuff in this our benighted period is going to go in a room, hopefully, at the Met or some other encyclopedic museum. What do they call it? You know, our our pre-lapsary, you know, our, our before the crash of human civilization period. I don't know what they'll call it. <laughs> the neo-gilded age, the fuck-up age. You know, they're going to put our age in a room. You know. And so, and I think they'll put the treasure of our age in the room. It's going to look really stupid, stuff like the shiny objects like Jeff Koons and stuff right. like that. It's mm -hmm. going to look like these guys are a bunch of Eva Bronze, you know, drinking in the, in the, in the <laughs> waiting for the Russians to come. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but there's also going to be, you know, works that show, that, 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 that artfully illustrated what it was like to be here now. Truths about our period, you know, um, tensions in our period. And that's kind of where my gallery likes to live. So this is kind of, you heard kind of a, this is a hella long answer to a short question, but what's the DNA of the gallery? I look for work that, that, um, that articulates artfully, not the news at 11, but shows us uh, important elements about what it was like to be here now. Right. And, um, and there's a lot of, and, and we're doing a lot of stuff, and I just, th I think, again, this is about what it's like to be here now. The gallery's really been transformed for about our fifth year. About 2013 is when we hit with Ramiro Gomez, and he was the, he was the reason we're still kind of going. The gallery did well. Like, we grew every year for five years with kind of a revolving, it was still a tight program. It was a lot of text. It was a lot of humor, a lot of subversive kind of stuff, institutional critique, which we still do. Um, but we really hit our stride with Ramiro, and and I think his work will be in our room at the Met in 200 years. Right. I really do. I think I think these portraits of, of labor into these luxury scenes says a thousand potent things right. about what it's, it's the, like to it's be it's here. It's a perfect portrait of it's the one-tenth of one percent. And it's simple, yeah, and it's yeah. artful, and it's beautiful, but the outcome is not simple. It's rich, and it's divergent, and it's, right. yeah. you know? So I look, you, you can't do that every time. And by the way, we'll have pictures of, of all of this on aggeiger.com. Right on, um, and so so so, and this is a, again all these long answers. But Lee, you know, the street thing is a bit divergent. But Lee is, you know, if you think about that original first generation train muralist, you know, this is activist work. You know, these are this is the uh, a work of a significantly a hyper marginalized generation. Well, so you know, excuse me, but taking, how do you say when you say activist? I mean, I know street art 
Um, it's, I think that first vintage is activisty. You know, those guys are breaking that. the law. You know, they're they're demanding to be heard. There's no place for for artists from the projects of the Lower East Side that are mm. you know Puerto Rican and you know flew over here when they were three or whatever it was. With in Lee's case, um, there was no proper cultural vehicle for those people to be heard. They made their own channel by mm. by by basically making their art on the on the sides of the transit material and, and the buildings and the trains of the city, and they started something that 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 didn't stop. So so the I think if we look at the the intentionality of that, you know, of Lee, you know, it is political and it's assertive and it's about agency and it's about voice and 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 declaring your presence and all of those things are core values that artists show at my gallery do. So um, so Lee, you know, maybe you know behind the scenes it makes darn good sense that Lee's with me you know there's a political el- there's right, a heavy that. political element to lead right. so we're, we're fundamentally political I, I always view that as kind of a kind of a hammer of it's kind of a blunt term political you know it suggests didacticism and all this kind of shitty you know connotations but but it's it's not far wrong it's hard to do well I know this uh, after do, trying to do it for 10 years you know trying to do political work that that it's not the news at eleven. It's not just agit prop. It's or, not easy. Or, yeah, or propaganda. Anyway, I think we I think we know how to do it. Um, and uh, so yeah, th- so the DNA of the gallery, we look for, we you know, and, and I'm not a calculator or anything, but I'm I, like, uh, I do think about work, and when I show it, I'm like, it, you know, will this help a historian understand our period in a couple hundred years. I actually, I, I don't overtly run everything through a, you know, through a cycle before I say yes. So sometimes, you know, I've shown work that's kind of, of a, of a pattern and decoration kind of um, uh, origin. And, and uh, you know, I do, I'm not immune to pleasure. And I believe that you can have pleasure and content and, and, and important content too. That's the premise of the whole gallery, really. And well, if it, well, if an art speaks to its time yeah you know it's going to be viewed through some sort of political prism by someone that's right yeah um so yeah that you know we've been in the game 10 years i i was a collector um my educational background was in i majored in english and minored in econ and my bachelor's work and then i was studying literary theory and i for 20 minutes thought maybe i well maybe i'll just get a phd in english and try to get you know try to teach but i even so i was going to grad school in the in the Early slash mid nineties, like um, and so, even then, it, you know, it would have been hopeless from a career perspective. I think, generally speaking, it's not so easy to get a tenured academic job. People do it all the time, but right. um, I actually wasn't that good a student. So I, I actually, <laughs> I, f- I fell into. Uh, I did grad school. I can I, see you arguing with the teachers, though. Yeah, when I was there, I didn't. I had a I had a, I had a you know, I really was kind of a fuck, like a, a just okay student. But uh, I was rescued by you know the deregulation of telecommunications and the real, the rapid ascent of the internet. That shit, that all happened kind of right after I graduated from college. You know what I mean? So I got out of college. So that ruined and, you or what? No, I, I wrote it. I surfed it for twelve years. I made you know I was able to have a, like a career. As as a consultant in kind of enterprise systems. Oh, wow. Um, and I ended up at Microsoft, and I, I had a good career. You know, Speaking I, of someone who never graduated, right? 
Yeah. Jade oh. never graduated. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, I never finished my MA. I dropped out. Um, and uh, I had a good old corporate career. That my corporate career helped me a lot. You know, you, they say you learn by doing. You know what I mean? It's, it's so you know, if, you, if you have talent but you haven't done anything, then you're. It just makes you kind of an angry, scared kind of person. I think <laughs> that's the way I was in my early twenties. So what flipped the switch? Well, I was I was in my late thirties. I'd been collecting robustly, largely out of San Francisco and a little bit out of New York. Um, While you're in, I'm. In Microsoft, yeah, I would parachute. I had, my uncle was living in Monterey, so I would blast out of Seattle and, uh, about three or four times a year and drive all night, get to Monterey. Oh, because you were at Microsoft. I, I was in Seattle, yeah, and I would come okay. down, and we would totally, we would do the San Francisco art scene, and we'd come down to L.A., so I was, was coming. It, what was your art, uh, your uncle, like, art-oriented? He yeah, he's a historian and author. He makes oh. his living writing books about art. Um, and so... I, I kind of knew what LA was, you know, for for a bunch of years in the aughts. I, we would come down, we'd come down every year, three, four, five, six, whatever. And and I and the more I collected, I started to do studio visits, and I felt all j- stoked, you know. And um, and then I started thinking, you know, I had a little bit of money, and I was like, um, I was like, is this Microsoft trip the work of a lifetime? I, it's a bit of a luxury, right? I was able to ask myself, is this the work of a lifetime, you know? I hadn't, you know, settled down. So I was, in, I was getting into my late 30s, and I guess I had kind of an excess, you know, kind of a crisis. Like, I'm either just going to fucking just keep doing this, you know, Microsoft IT management shit, yeah. which was fine, you know, like all my old friends have, you know, dope houses and, you know, <laughs> comfortable lives. I'm like, fuck right. you guys, you know? But I'm a big hero. But they're not happy. They're yeah, not that's, happy. Well, yeah, except they have dope ass houses in the, you know, <laughs> they see they have every consumer product in the history of the world but I would take my I would take my art acquisitions to this frame shop on 45th in Wallingford nice neighborhood in Seattle and, a, and a, a, a guy was working there who had gone to SFAI you know the San Francisco mm-hmm. Institute and he was up there with his uh, soon-to-be wife who was studying acting at the University of Washington and I would take him. I would take my my new acquisitions to him. Like, how do I frame this man? And and uh, I'm not a blank page kind of guy. And he would help me out in this egoless, constructive way. And we became friends. And I started talking. You know, like you know, I'd be kind of like the closer I got to the art world, Michael, as I started to buy and do studio visits and hang out with dealers. You know, some of the dealers were quite impressive, but they they weren't. You know, so outlandishly impressive. You know, they didn't seem so much brighter than me. And, and, and I had kind of a firm, theory, you know, kind of theoretical background, so I was good with, you know, appropriation work. I, 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 was, I could talk about work, you know, at least as well as they could back in the day. Um, and I was just like, I had this, I... I, I, think there's a, I think there's a huge part about the enthusiasm for the work, right? But then what really gets you is when they talk about the yeah, art. Yeah, and they, and, can, and they the love genuine, It's essential. Genuine. That's not an option, by the way. That yeah. passion has to be there. Because it's a miracle every time you sell a piece for some appreciable amount of money, you know? I mean, it's, you know, you're selling artworks routinely that are more expensive than cars. And I know that that's kind of a, I mean, I've been in the game 10 years and I'm still making observations like that. That's kind of a, like a, a, a goofy, you know, day class A kind of comment maybe, but it still kind of can be startling, like, you know? So how did you end up in Chinatown? Well, Chinatown was the spot. So like I told you, I was coming down all the time. Culver City was was uh, was cool, but it was already kind of on the you know it was already considerably more expensive than so when I when I started coming down you know to L A you know 
you had Louvre out in Venice. You had Bergamot, right. which was affluent back then. Sure. You know. And I still believe that for pure walk-in money traffic, Bergamot, diminished as it is, is still the best place to have a gallery if you want random ass people to come in and say, honey, which one, the red one or the blue one? Uh-huh. Where are we gonna put it? Like that shit will happen on a Tuesday in Bergamot Station. Yeah. Like nobody, the, it just the, fucking happens. The red in this piece matches the couch. Totally, I mean, they're right there in the tender inner thigh of all the money, you know what I mean? It's been there for, a, 30 years mm-hmm. people know they can parachute in there but now you know I went to Greenland not too long ago and it's like there's like it's all software companies right? yeah yeah but there's still a row of, of decent galleries in there and they there are galleries that are used to walk in money I'm just, this is just a digression I'm still like uh, uh, Bergamot's not the spot but but here's what I'll also say no place is the spot fuck the spot that's what I think there's no spot your gallery is the spot this is you're hearing my shit but uh um, why Chinatown? So Chinatown was hella good back in the aughts, you know. Like, so Chinatown, to my, you know, my knowledge of it is it, it was, you know, it was a startup scene with like real cutty, trippy dudes in the late '90s. You had a couple drug overdoses. You know, a, a guy went mad. You know, one of the original gallerists in Chinatown like literally went insane. Another one died. But um, the galleries have been there since the very late '90s, and then you know, in the aughts you had uh, maybe an early peak around three or four and then you had kind of a pre-crash peak of six or seven and then i show up in the middle of the crash in november of 2008 and then and when i showed up there were something like 40 galleries in chinatown if you looked all all the way around they were everywhere um and it was and it was inexpensive and it's charming and it's fundamentally good which it still is you know Um, and then, you know, 9, 10, 11, you had a real thinning out in Chinatown. Galleries bailed, went out of business, or the big ones decamped for, you know, greener pastures like Kordansky, Javier Perez went to Berlin, um, Joel Messler went to New York. Um, you know, there were some big people in Chinatown in the day. Um, and Culver City got kind of fatter and bigger and bigger. Right. Um, but, uh, here, but, but here's my point about, you know, the art world always has this real estate component, right? Because, the, you know, the art world shapes the real estate market. The real estate market should care about what we do. Well, they do, and they're trying to kick you out of Boyle Heights. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so, no, um, but we were we had a giggle before because, you know, you know Chinatown. It's, it is Brigadoon, right? I mean, <laughs> you, have to be, you have to be careful about typing, F, you know, you know, ethnically, but uh, but I say this kind of without reservation. But I've learned a bunch of things from being in Chinatown, and the Chinese are good at being old. You know, they show up. You know what I mean? Like they, they just come. They come to their stores every damn day until they absolutely can't come anymore. And then, no, it's true. And, and, they, I, I, and, and, well, and there's Jeannie. Who's on the she's, she's the sentinel of the neighborhood she? in that little red chair <laughs> and that adorable <laughs> heavenly hat, which I kind of want to buy off of. It it's so cute. awesome. But um, yeah, it, so it, just. Just, so, if so you're the, listening, so, Charles and I live around the block from one another on Chunking Road. Yeah, yeah, come by and so. say what's up. Um, but as a consequence of this good at being old stuff, the neighborhood just doesn't turn over that much, right? So I'm still paying. You know, if I if I try to simulate what I have now, I don't pay. I have storage. I have three floors. Right. I have a nice, you know, bathroom. It, it, it looks good. I've got an alley behind the spot. I've got, you know, we can get out a table saw and chunking road if we want we can have a party there are no cops it's all good well maybe you know famous last words here on the pocket we'll edit that part out 
But um, I'd be I'd be doubling my overhead if I go anywhere. No, it's true. You know, man. and who the fuck wants to? Do? I don't want to double my overhead. So I, so fuck seeing fuck real estate. Like I really believe that. Like, uh, you know, well, you, I mean now, I mean I think it might have been more important when uh, before. But you know, like social media and all that, like because now you can find your people, you yeah. make a, you can build a tribe. That's right. And they can, uh, they go like, I'm having an opening, come to the opening, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, let's go to, you know, pub crawl, basically. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is the I mean, the museum. pub crawl thing is cool, right? It makes things easy because you might get some random people that could add value that could get stuck to the right. gallery in a, in a constructive well, way. Well. And it's nice, like you were saying, like in, back in the day when there were like the big name galleries yeah. there, then everyone would go and yeah, they had yeah. to be seen and it was a scene. It definitely helped me in, in, in 09, in 8 and 9, and, and it tapered off pretty fast. I did meet some wonderful supporters, just people that were coming to the neighborhood and hitting every gallery. And right. I and I definitely right. made, you know, uh, that doesn't, that hasn't been, the, that hasn't, you know, really... People come to Chinatown and they come they come to see specific people. You know, they come to see Paige, they come to see me, they come to see you, they come to see whatever. Um, you know, and uh, it just, I guess it's just, I, I'm just... I'm, well, I don't sell any books unless you guys are having openings. Oh, yeah? I mean, I mean well, we sell a lot of our books online, of course. Good. AGGeiger.com. There you go. But... <laughs> but here's the thing, like, LA is so entropic, right? It's so spread out and so fucking crazy that, you know, like... I think everywhere is a destination now, Michael. That's my position anyway. And the thing about Chinatown is it's fundamentally good. It's easy to access. It's cheap. You can have lunch. The, you know, it's not like Culver mm -hmm. City where you got basically the 110 freeway going down the right. middle of it, you know? And it gets a bad rap for parking, but there's plenty of parking. Nah, it's fine. Chinatown's easy peasy, I think. And there's, I was this itinerant art dealer. I was hitting the fairs hard. I would do as many as eight a year. I did as many fairs as I did gallery shows. I was burning. You know, I was young, I was younger, and I was like, <laughs> I don't want to fail, so I fucking charged after it. And I built myself a collector base, and then, this is what has to happen to every dealer, I kind of got rescued by a really hot transformative artist, which was with Ramiro in late 2013, who was followed by Sadie and Patrick, Mar Sadie Barnett and Patrick Martinez, and now Gabriela Sanchez, and hopefully more to come. Um, and it and and then the gal and then all of a sudden it was almost like we had wings and I didn't have to do those damn art fairs. Art fairs are are great. I, my business would have closed a long time ago without them. And the art fairs are are, are strange to me because I mean yeah. they're they're. Uh they're, the art fairs are on the decline. I can I know this. Really? Now. Yeah. I, yeah. Because people uh, hate them and there are too damn many of them and you don't score like you used to. They're going away slowly. What about the L.A. freeze? Well, it's going to, you know, it'll be all, it'll be that L.A. Freeze thing around Valentine's Day week. It's going to, there's going to be three fairs at the same time. Three good contemporary fairs at the same time. It'll be Freeze at the Paramount. There'll be the Felix at the Roosevelt Hotel, which is going to be almost as good as Freeze, which no doubt bummed out the Freeze people, I'm sure. Huh. And then you still have the Art L.A. Contemporary over at Barker Hangar at the Santa Monica Airport, which is which is probably the one that's suffering the most because they're basically all their clients got sucked into these two better yeah. fairs. Mm -hmm. But still, it, you know, what that, you, you got 65 galleries at Freeze that are all whales or mostly whales and then you got a bunch of really good galleries at Felix and then you got whatever's left over at ALAC who will be good. Right. Um, and that's a lot of mouths to feed, Michael. Particularly In a week. Well, I mean, it's good that they're all, uh, uh, similar to the real estate issue. I mean, they're all like, everybody will be, you know, like, 
if you're going to come in and you want to see everything. Yeah, they got to get people to come out from out of town, or it's just going to die in two or three years, just like every other fucking time. Because there's just not that many people. Like, you know, you, you've got. I don't, depending on how you count, I mean, you've got 40, 50, 60 big galleries that are bringing no problem five-figure work and six-figure work to L.A. And it's, you know, it's not like there's an army of people, you know, buying work for, for robust five-figure or, or right. low six-figure prices in this town. That is, that is an irregular occurrence. I think there's, there are probably five people that do that with any, you know, in L.A. That, it's not that there are many people that could do it but they don't you know hmm. but there are just not that many people that that spend that kind of money with any kind of yeah. frequency so mouths to feed right and so, so they gotta get people coming into town it's gotta become like almost like a miami level thing where right. like, let's all fucking go to la in february right. and party and have a good time um so it's it's a it's a long shot. You know, I don't know why it would be any. Are you are you in any? No, nope. in none of the fairs. No, nope. okay. I never do LA fairs. Why you're here? I'm here. Yeah, um, I'm here. And it, like I said, I'm I, you know I'm down to maybe th- two to three art fairs a year. This year I'm doing San Francisco in fe- in, in January. So right after I open Lee, I got to bail to San Francisco for a week for the Untitled Fair. There's Untitled and Fog up in San Francisco, and that'll be a pretty good convocation of people. Um, and also one of my artists, Sadie Barnett, has an opening at the Museum of the African Diaspora in San Francisco that week too. So that's gonna be a pretty good week. Yeah, that sounds great. And then I'll do the Armory in March, that's early March in New York. And then I, and then probably I'll do Seattle. Seattle has a, a nice art fair that's not so expensive and it's where I used to live, so it's in summertime in Seattle, which is beautiful. perfect. And then maybe Chicago in the fall. I don't know. Um, so gallery shows for you, 2019. How far out are you scheduled? I got the whole year scoop now. I don't have anything in 2020, but um, now the whole year is pretty much locked in now. I figured it out. I took a long. I like. I kind of. I think I'm like some of my peers get that shit really. You know. Well, they they plan out a long ways ahead. Yeah. yeah I you know. I think, Michael, that, that the way that the business is predicated on, I mean, you're hearing my, you're hearing my experience, right? When anyone talks like this, you're hearing, well, this, this guy was an outsider. He showed up, really had no business. He didn't, I didn't have that much money. I had enough money to charge at it for five years and lose money for uh, up to a point. And then it was going to have to go or I was going to have to retool, you know, figure mm-hmm. it out. I don't know what... what um, and we just happened to kind of, you know, you just kind of yeah. gain some elevation at that five-year mark. You gotta keep adding heat, man. You know, it's not enough just to have a good artist. Like, and I don't want to because the yeah, I mean, there are a million fucking good artists, zillions of them, and it, it this doesn't matter. You like, so what I tell people now is that, you know, work has to have rigor. You know, it has to be taken seriously. It has to evince. It has to create a certain amount of pleasure you know to inspire kind of the almost kind of carnal sense of possession that inspires people to give you money for it like so it's got to be serious enough which that's easy you know most kids that went to art school or can make work that's oh you know that gets through the door you know what right. i mean right. but the work's got to compel a certain amount of energy um and it could be that you know back maybe back in the day if you had rigorous work that was perfectly executed then maybe you'd have a shot but these days i don't believe you do 
I think you have to have rigorous work that inspires carnality, you know, inspires pleasure and, and creates action. But then you also need a third thing, which is the work needs to, it needs to overflow the banks of the art world and kind of go, and I don't want to use zeitgeist, I don't want, certainly want to use virality as a word, but maybe zeitgeist is okay, but it has to kind of matter. The work has to, it has to, has to be, you know what I mean? It, it has to exist, I think, because the fundamental position or condition of the art world, I think, Michael, is glut. There are too many galleries, there are too many artists, there are too many fairs, too much fucking everything. And so you got to be really good now to crack. I mean, the art market's hot, but you've got to, at an emerging level, there's got to be a real reason for your shit to be, you know? Uh, and I'm okay with that, but this all came from how do you make your schedule? Well, I, I fucking take as long as I possibly can to try to get something transformative on the schedule. I don't think it's going to run the same shit through the gallery every year, you know, every year, two years. Right, right. That just won't work, you know. Like, uh, it's so stacked against you, you just got to relentlessly pursue heat, you know. You, and, and artists of significance. I don't want to heat sounds like it, like I'm talking about it cheaply almost, and I don't mean to say that. I mean artists that are important, that, that have to be shown. No, I see that. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. No, especially if you're going to cut through the clutter, and there is quite a bit of clutter. And the fucking business, Michael, is just relentless, man. I mean, it's great. I, I, I you know, uh, I, I bitch about it because that's my way. I, I bitch about things. But um, I, I am coming to realize and be okay with, like, work is my happy place. You know, like... Uh, this is my passion project. When you, uh, for your listeners out there, if you ever, you know, I worked for the man, you know, like I was a, I was a half-assed student, whatever. That's working for yourself, but you're not getting paid, right? So, whatever. I was a, just an okay student, and I was good at corporate life. I was competitive, and uh, it was the first time I was ever able to kind of sublimate like nervous energy and put it into, you know, writing perfect emails and memos and kind of getting shit, getting promoted. I loved it, you know? <laughs> like, I was, as a young man, like, corporate life really did a lot for me. Um, but when you put your name on the door, you know, that shit, it, you know, then you're all in. I was never all in before. Like, with corporate life, I always had one foot out of the batter's box. Like, oh, fucking, you know, like, gotta go to this meeting. What a wank. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, even right. though I was a fiend for work, basically, I was still a fiend, but I was, I was grinding on a bunch of, you know, Whatever. Yeah, but now you get up and cheat on expense reports. You know, like every fucking corporate guy in the whole world. But um, but yeah, once you put your name on it, man, it's 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 important. You know, it's it's intense. You you really want to do your best. We've been talking with Charlie James, owner of Charlie James Gallery. This weekend, be sure to check out. Uh, on January, this weekend, January 12th, uh, from 6 to 9, is an opening for Lee Quinones, one of the world's premier um, street artists. It's, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, you can see more and learn more about it at cjamesgallery.com. AG Geiger Presents Tales of the LA Art Underworld is produced by me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with AG Geiger Fine Art Books the Mayfair Hotel, and Regime 72. Check us all out at aggeiger.com, mayfairla.com, and regime72.com. And thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.